Our scripture reading this morning is from Genesis 21, verses 1 through 21. The Lord was attentive to Sarah, just as he had said, and the Lord carried out just what he had promised her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son for Abraham when he was old, at the very time God had told him. Abraham named his son the son Sarah bore him, Isaac. Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, just as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. Sarah said, God has given me laughter. Everyone who hears about it will laugh with me. She said, who could have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse sons, but now I've given birth to a son when he was old. The boy grew and stopped nursing. On the day he stopped nursing, Abraham prepared a huge banquet. Sarah saw Hagar's son laughing, the one Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham. So she said to Abraham, send this servant away with her son. This servant's son won't share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. This upset Abraham terribly, because the boy was his son. God said to Abraham, don't be upset about the boy and your servant. Do everything Sarah tells you to do, because your descendants will be traced through Isaac. But I will make of your servant's son a great nation too, because he is also your descendant. Abraham got up early in the morning, took some bread and a flask of water, and gave it to Hagar. He put the boy in her shoulder sling and sent her away. She left and wandered through the desert near Beersheba. Finally, the water in the flask ran out, and she put the boy down under one of the desert shrubs. She walked away from him about as far as a bow shot and sat down, telling herself, I can't bear to see the boy die. She sat at a distance, cried out in grief, and wept. God heard the boy's cries, and God's messenger called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy's cries over there. Get up, pick up the boy, and take him by the hand, because I will make of him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well. She went over, filled the water flask, and gave the boy a drink. God remained with the boy. He grew up, lived in the desert, and became an expert archer. He lived in the Paran Desert, and his mother found him an Egyptian wife. May the living word of God speak to us through these ancient words of Scripture. You'll remember that we are in the middle of our Connected series, a series about nurturing authentic relationships. It goes from uh, everyone and everything all around us, as personal as our relationship with God to the relationship that we have with the world. Week, the first week, we talked about that relationship with God and how we can deepen that authenticity. And we discovered that we are not only allowed to question God or be mad at God or yell at God, but that that is biblically endorsed, the story of the prodigal son and the reaction of that older brother who was furious led us there. And the story calls us to not only be angry at God when we feel that way, but to be honest about it and to suggest that it is damaging our relationship with God when we hold back. 
And then last week, we discovered that the negative self-talk that we have that runs through our mind, that it impacts the way that we understand ourselves and who we are. And so that is also biblical. It's King David, the greatest king in all of Israelite history, had negative self-talk that was revealed through the Psalms. We, many were his personal prayers and were filled with lament and fear and anxiety and sadness, feelings of unworthiness and shame. And so we talked about the three re's that could help us to combat that negative self-talk. Realize that we do it, refocus on what God says about you, and to resolve to listen to that voice, not the doubtful, fearful one in your own mind. And that doing so honors the creation that is God's, that you are God's creation deemed good and worthy and loved. And telling yourself anything other than that could be an affront to God's good creation. Well, today we talk about family. We broaden today to our loved ones, to their family, whether they are our biological family or the near and dear close friends that have become like family to us. We're talking about the relationships that we share with those who we care the most about. And as I said, sometimes that is our biological family and sometimes we've left them behind because it's too painful or toxic and we have a chosen family instead. But whomever you define as your loved ones, your family, your close friends, they are the target of how we today can deepen those relationships and make them more authentic. You've probably heard the expression, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It's one that acknowledges our past, the way that our lives are connected to our past and the generations of our family that have come before us, how our actions and our beliefs, sometimes even our behaviors are integrally connected to the generations that come before. And I'm lucky to have known um, all four of my grandparents, even one of my great-grandparents. And I was old enough to actually remember them before they passed. Their senses of humor, their wise nature, their love, the little things in their lives, about their lives. But one of the things that I learned as my parents downsized a number of years ago and had to decide what to keep and what to give away was that I essentially remember the big things. I re remember the big events and the, the sort of large emotions that go along with them, but that there was so much about my grandparents and even great-grandparents that I don't know. The everyday things that I wasn't privy to, to knowing about as they grew up and then as I grew up, but I loved to hear about it. So for example, as we were packing up their tool bench, my mom picked up this very little hammer. It was probably about that big, and it wasn't super big, but it was one that you would use maybe for hanging a picture frame or tacking, and written down the handle were the words, mine, mine, mine. Well, it turns out <laughs> that it was her mom's hammer, and every time my grandmother needed to do something, she would pull out this ridiculously small hammer, not just for picture frames, but for all the big jobs that required a hammer. And my grandfather would roll his eyes, and he would gently question her choice, choice of tool, and he often tried to get rid of it. <laughs> That's how mine, mine, mine ended up in her chicken scratch down the side of the handle. Now this is not a story, of course, that would be handed down from one generation to the next. It's not transformative, it's not descriptive of our family heritage, although maybe a little bit of that quirkiness actually is. But it does provide some insights into the quirks of my grandmother, the mine, 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 and of course the loving relationship that she shared with my grandfather. 
These, while prompted by this small tacking hammer, are the things that it's so much fun for me to know about the lives of my grandparents from 60 years or so ago. And we know that not all stories are worthy of being told and retold or passed through the generations, but they do provide us with that insight that helps us to know our families, to know our loved ones just a little bit better. And knowing our history, knowing where we've come from, informs something about our identity. It tells us something about ourselves in the here and now. And sometimes we learn it so that we don't repeat it. The story of Abraham and Isaac that we read part of this morning, um, along with Ishmael, it's a foundational story. It's a story that helps form our faith identity. It's not exactly about our past, but it's part of the foundation upon which our faith identity is built. You may recall that before this story, Abraham was chosen with Sarai to have a baby, and you may remember that Sarai laughed, that she, it's not clear whether she was mocking, laughing, like, ha, yeah, like that's actually going to happen, or whether it's joy at the fact that she might actually get to experience this. But this baby was taking a while. It wasn't actually happening. And so Sarah intervened and told Abraham to have a baby with Hagar. And it's not uncommon at that time um, to have multiple wives for the heads of households to continue their line through the servants. But Sarah was still considered the primary wife. As you can tell, things have changed dramatically over the years. Um, but at that time, then Hagar does conceive Ishmael, and eventually Sarah conceives Isaac. And this is what leads to our story for today. Abraham is forced to choose. Sarah becomes jealous of his actual firstborn, Ishmael. There was a lot of weight given to the fact that a child was the firstborn child. And so he became jealous of that, or she became jealous of that actual firstborn and caused a rift in the family. Abraham sent Hagar and Ishmael out into the desert but don't miss, as we're reading it, that God actually does care for them and saves them. Makes a great nation out of Ishmael's descendants because God's promises are still true and secure no matter what. But for the purposes of our story today, this action of Abraham's actually sets up the next three generations for the same cycle. The same cycle of favoritism that caused this pain and brokenness in this family. You see, Abraham chose Isaac. He casts out the firstborn in favor of the secondborn. And this is the one whom God is choosing to make the bloodline of the Israelites. He's choosing Isaac. In the next generation, Isaac chooses one son over another. He chooses Esau over Jacob. It says, Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating game, but Rebekah, their mother, loved Jacob. And now this led to deception and to trickery. So Jacob, with the help of his mother, tricked Isaac, their father, into giving the blessing to the secondborn, to Jacob, instead of Esau. And so Jacob ends up as the one who carries on the bloodline. The brokenness has now intensified in this next generation with more significant results. The next generation... Jacob, he chooses Joseph over his brothers. Genesis 37 says, Now Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because when he was born, Jacob was old. 
Jacob had made for him a long robe. Isn't it amazing that that display of favoritism is right there in the Bible twice, actually, in both of those stories? And like before, with this next generation, the drama intensifies. Instead of just sending away or stolen birthrights, Joseph's brothers seek to kill him. At the last minute, of course, one brother convinces the others just to sell him off to traders in Egypt instead. But this cycle of favoritism has deep impacts on the generations that follow. And we're summing up here chapters and chapters of Genesis into just a couple of minutes to see the impact that this has on these generations that have come. There's the broken relationships between Isaac and Ishmael, between Jacob and Esau, between Joseph and his brothers, and it keeps perpetuating from generation to generation. And the consequences become more severe as it goes on. And so we're seeing this parental favoritism played out. We're seeing mistreatment of the less powerful by the more powerful. We're seeing senseless and baseless rivalries develop between siblings. Now, we don't have details, actually, about Joseph's descendants or broken relationships there. And I think that may be because Joseph broke the pattern. You've heard that long and twisted story with the ending of Joseph offering grace and forgiveness to his brothers. They end up living together as a united family. But a warning jumps from the pages of the Bible here from the patriarchs and the matriarchs of our faith, that we cannot perpetuate the cycle of our family's history because it could end up getting worse and worse with every generation that comes. So instead, we're invited to break the systems of, of brokenness and embrace and lift up the good and positive things that come from our families. Now, I think that this very easily translates to the relationships that we share with our own families. We often think that we're just doomed to repeat the, the sins or the brokenness of the past, the cycles that we are shown, or even that we ourselves have engaged in. It's why they say that marriage takes work, right? Any good relationship does. We have to pay attention to the innate or learned behaviors and reactions that we have when something happens in those relationships. And we have to commit to breaking that cycle of perpetuating the evil or brokenness that can and does exist between humans, blood-related or not. And so I think that the three re's from last week actually apply very well here too. First, we realize, we realize that we might have contributed to this cycle of brokenness. And so I invite you to ask yourself, how have you perpetuated wrongdoing through your actions or your beliefs or your treatment of your own loved ones, your family or otherwise? We can hear God's word jumping from the pages of the Bible that perpetuating that kind of behavior will only lead to further brokenness. The second re, refocus. What are the ways that you are healing that brokenness? Leaving behind the, the things that have been hurtful and instead focusing on the ones that build up. And then finally, resolve. Resolve to not participate it anymore, to not perpetuate it for the coming generations. Commit to not going back to those ways that might be so ingrained in you, but now that you know them, commit to breaking them. And it might be hard, 
because they could be ingrained in you from the very beginning of your life. It might be something that you were taught by society, might be part of yourself that you know that needs to be tamped down. It could be something that just arose in a relationship. But here's the thing. Any sense of breaking that cycle, of seeking to repair what's broken, creates more authentic relationships with others. And it likely includes one thing, grace, forgiveness. Not two things, really the same thing in one. Grace and forgiveness is likely included in any kind of healing of the past so that we can move on into the future. You see, Joseph broke the cycle of the patriarchs and the matriarchs from the Bible by offering grace and forgiveness, by offering it to his brothers and his family. Even Abraham's sons, Isaac and Ishmael, came together when, his father, when their father's life ended. They came together for their burial. A colleague in a Facebook group recently shared this story saying that it was okay to share it with you, anonymously though, but it is a true story that she just posted about 10 days or so ago. Her father-in-law had died recently after a short battle with cancer. Her husband, let's call him Jake, invites his brother, let's call him Peter, to come and visit their dad. You see, they knew that their dad was going to die in just a couple of weeks and that Peter and their father had not spoken for 15 years. The brothers, too, Jake and Peter, had not spoken for years. But Jake had forgiven Peter enough to be able to pick up the phone and invite him. So Peter comes to visit Dad. And they are both saying how much they have missed each other, how they're glad to be together, and how they should have done this years before. In fact, Peter had just recently connected, reconnected with his own two children because his daughter reached out to him asking for reconnection. She writes this. There are all sorts of pieces to their story and life and relationships are incredibly complicated. Forgiveness <clears throat> is complicated too. But I'm stuck on that general, generational piece, she writes, that if someone sees forgiveness given to them, they may find the capacity to forgive as well. A generational thing doesn't always have to be brokenness. It can be forgiveness, it can be grace. So take from this story of a colleague in ministry, from Joseph, even from Abraham and his sons Isaac and Ishmael, <clears throat> that drive to seek to make things right. Whether it's with the generation that came before or the one that comes next. In your closest human relationships, we know that things will never be perfect. That's the very definition of humanity. And when you put a whole bunch of imperfect humans together to live this life, it is likely to get complicated and messy. But we don't have to perpetuate the things of the past. We don't have to give in to the brokenness that has been passed down to us. Grace and forgiveness are powerful things. And perhaps their power lies in their ability to completely change the world and our lives so that what comes next is a little less broken than what came before. Amen.